The gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 40. You can find it on page 737 of the Pew Bible. And please stand again as you are able for the reading of the gospel. From Luke 12, beginning at verse 22, we read in Jesus' name. And he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you fear? What keeps you up at night? What makes you anxious? That is your God. And I mean that with a small g. This gospel lesson is all about the first commandment. The Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The small catechism explains this simply and brilliantly, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That's what it means to have a God. Whatever we fear above all things, that is our God. Whatever we love above all things, that is our God. Whatever we trust above all things, that is our God. 
Last week, we were also focusing on the first commandment. We spent most of our time last week in the Old Testament lesson from Ecclesiastes, but the theme of the gospel lesson was the same as well. Last week in the gospel lesson, Jesus told a parable about a rich man, and you can read about this rich man right before our gospel lesson for today. It's a continuation of that lesson. This rich man had such a great harvest that he had nowhere to store his crops, and so he tore down his barns and built new and bigger ones. Now, he was already a wealthy man, so he didn't really need the extra wealth, but he spent part of it just so he could keep the rest of it. Now, part of the tragedy is that he had no one to share it with. He was all alone in his religion of self, and we see this from the way that he speaks. He says, I, six times, and my, five times. So it goes, I, 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 my, 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 my. And this is the funny part, but sad too. The only time that he uses the word you is when he's talking to himself. He says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He took security in his wealth. He trusted it like a god. He thought it would set him up for the rest of his life. And, in a way, I suppose it did, because he died that night. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It was a question without an answer. He did not even know. He had no one to leave it to. Everything he had spent his life working for was suddenly gone, or... To be more accurate, everything he had worked for was still there, but he was gone. And so the greater tragedy is that his stuff could not save his soul from death. He loved his wealth above all things. Now, to love someone or something doesn't mean that you just like it a whole lot. It means that we serve it and we sacrifice ourselves for it. To love money or anything else means that we serve it. We sacrifice ourselves in order to get it. And then once we obtain it, we trust it. And that's what the man in the parable did. He trusted it to give him security and merriness to his soul. He loved and trusted wealth. That's two of the three actions that define what it means to have a God. Love and trust. And in the lesson for today, Jesus speaks more of this love and trust, but he also speaks about the other one, fear. Fear, love, and trust. This gospel lesson is a, uh, a commentary on the parable of this rich fool. And so after telling the parable, Jesus says to his disciples, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And he tells us to consider the birds and the flowers. So let's consider the birds and the flowers. What do birds do all day? They fly around, they eat, they sleep. Once in a while, they have to build a nest. They do very little work, but your father feeds them. And after a little while, they die. Flowers. What do flowers do all day? Literally nothing. They do nothing, but they still grow and just look pretty. Then they die. For birds and flowers and every other creature under heaven, your Father gives them what they need for this life, and then they die. 
That's how it goes. And the same thing is true for you. Your father gives you what you need for this life, and then you die. Humans, more than any other creature under heaven, we live with the delusion that we are in control of our own lives. But this is a lie. If your father sustains the lives of all of his pets and his garden, how much more does he care for his children? Now, God gives us the ability to work, and he commands us to work as well. He even says through the Apostle Paul, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. But this is all the gift of God. The ability to work, and even work itself, is the gift of God. Whatever your father gives you to do, do it with all your might. But even the wages that you receive for that work is still the gift of God. Humans are the most foolish of all the creatures under heaven because we have the delusion that we're in control of our own lives. This is a lot of pressure to place on ourselves. And so we become anxious about our lives. We fear not having enough to eat. We fear not having a place to live. We fear getting sick. We fear not having enough for retirement. We fear all sorts of things. And yeah, these things threaten our lives, and so we fear them. And it's true that there are many things that can destroy our lives. But there's no way to avoid it. No matter what you do, one of these things is going to get you. And yet, even this is in your Father's gracious hand. He gives you what you need for this life, and then you die. This, too, is from the hand of God. So do not fear and do not be anxious. Rather, fear God and trust him. These three actions of fear, love, and trust, they're all related. The chief of these three actions is trust. What we trust determines what we also fear and what we love. Our hearts, this is what our hearts do, they set themselves on something that they find to be trustworthy. Now this thing, it could be something that we already have, or it could be something that we still lack, but which we desire and we try to obtain. It could be something that we think will protect us, or it could be something that we think will give us happiness and joy. And whatever that thing is, whatever our heart targets, that determines what we will also fear and love. So we fear what will happen to us if we lose that thing or if we fail to obtain it. So for example, if you trust a large retirement fund, you might fear inflation that diminishes the value of it. Or you might even fear living so long that your fund wears out or runs out, and then what do you do? Or if you're still building that fund, you might fear a recession or losing your job. We fear these things if we trust a large retirement fund. You see, what we trust determines what we will also fear. It also makes us love certain things. And by love, remember, I don't mean those things that you just like a whole lot. That's not what love is. Love is all about action. It's what you serve. So you work to build that fund. You sacrifice other things in life. And it could be family, church, or giving to the needy. These things get in the way of that retirement fund. And so we sacrifice them. So whatever we fear love and trust in above all things, that is what we really worship as our God. And the chief of these three actions is trust. 
So, so the things that we fear and the things that we love, they reveal what our hearts really trust. Now, is it the one true God, or is it something else? If it's something else, that something else cannot really save you. You will serve it, then it will fail you, and you will die. If it's the one true God, you will still die, unless Jesus returns before then. But if you die, God will bring you through death and into his eternal kingdom. This is Jesus' great promise in this gospel lesson. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We spend our lives trying to build our own little kingdoms. But it is your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. The kingdom of God, with all of its majesty, glory, and wealth, is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that is ours in Jesus Christ, then it changes the way we think about our own little kingdoms, right? They're just sandcastles. And suddenly, that's okay. If the kingdom of God belongs to his little children, then our pathetic kingdoms, they can crumble like sand, and we've really lost nothing. Therefore, Jesus says, on this basis, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, what does that mean? Does this mean that we can earn treasure in heaven by giving to the needy? Certainly not. Our minds tend to go there. But Jesus doesn't actually make that link between the two things. He does not say that giving to the needy will earn us treasure in heaven. Our minds go there because we're always thinking, what's in it for me? We often think in terms of transactions. We pay money, get something in return. So Jesus commands us to give to the needy, and we think, why? What's in it for me? What will you give me if I do? That's the wrong way to think about it. Because Jesus, remember, has already promised us the kingdom. It is not your father's good pleasure to make a deal with you. It is not your father's good pleasure to test you as though he will reward you if you pass that test. No, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sometimes we suffer from this horrible thought that we have a reluctant God. We wrongly think that we have to work hard or pray hard or believe hard in order to convince God to be good to us. That's all wrong. He is not reluctant. He's gracious and extravagant. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so we do not earn treasure in heaven by giving to the needy. We need to think about it in a different way. God gives us treasure in heaven as a pure gift, and this sets us free to give to the needy. Our treasure is no longer on earth because our Father in heaven has promised us something far greater there. He has promised us the entire kingdom, and so Jesus commands us to give. Now, if you don't have the ability to give, you are not bound to give. And actually, if you do not have enough, you should tell someone. You should tell me or one of the deacons at church here because other members of this congregation have actually already offered to help, but they don't know who to direct their help to. 
In a congregation, it is right for members to help one another. When you state your need, you give others the opportunity to obey Jesus' command here. And for those who have the ability, the command is this. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. When you see someone who actually needs something, kick over your sandcastle and give it to them. Because you have a kingdom in heaven. That's your treasure. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a kind of Jesus' diagnostic tool for us to see what our God really is. Where is our treasure? What do we value above anything else? How do we spend our resources? And that might be money, it might be time, it might be something else. And sometimes we hear people say, time is money. And that might be true. For some people, money is more valuable than time. For others, time is more valuable than money. Or it could be something else entirely. Whatever your most valuable resource is, how do you spend it? That's where your heart is. Is your heart in the wrong place? Should it be somewhere else? If so, put your treasure somewhere else. When, when we spend our time or money or something else, it draws our heart toward the place where we spend those resources. And so if, if your heart is in the wrong place, move your treasure and your heart will follow there. Finally, consider Jesus and where his heart is. This is really the most surprising part. In the last part of our reading, and this was kind of like an optional part of this reading where if the pastor wants to, he can read this part. If not, he doesn't have to. I chose to include it because it fits very well and it shows us where Jesus' heart is. In the last part of our reading, Jesus compares himself to a master who's returning from a wedding feast. And he gets back in the middle of the night. And look what happens then. The servants, they come and take care of the master, right? They wash his feet, they prepare a warm meal for him, and they have the bed ready for him, right? That's not what Jesus says will happen with him. It's very different. He says, the master will dress himself for service and have the servants recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Jesus is the master, and he comes to serve his servants. He comes to serve you. And so we can ask, where is Jesus' heart? What does he serve? What is his treasure? His treasure is you. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You are his treasure. And so when Jesus tells us to sell our possessions and give to the needy, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he has not already done a billion times greater. He gave up everything he had for our sake. His treasure is you, and he gave everything for you, including his own life. And so we find that we are the needy. We are the ones who are lost. We're chasing after false gods and losing everything when those false gods fail us. And so the one true God seeks for us. And he gives his body and blood into death for us. He purchases you as his own and gives you his kingdom. And so you are the one that he treasures. And he gives his treasure to you.
And then this gives us freedom to give away our sandcastles, because the kingdom is ours forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs>